Hi, um, this is a podcast with David Carpenter. David is a writer on psychedelics. He contributes to Forbes magazine and Lucid News. He's also an author of a book called um, Your Neighbours Are Doing Psychedelics, um, MDMA. And he's another one coming out in the summer, which is putting a bit of pressure on him um, around the same theme. Um, and the topic in that is uh, 5-MeO. And I came across David maybe a year and a half ago when uh, he was good enough to do a review of the documentary that we did, 5MEO. And um, and so we chat everything psychedelics, um, from how he got interested in them, the growth of the industry, where it's going, the kind of miraculous results that that are seen out there. And a little bit of his personal history in the area and anything and everything else. Um, at the end of the podcast, David offered to give a free copy of his first book, Your Neighbours Are Doing Psychedelics, MDMA. Um, so um, I will put the email address on his website and you can get in contact and just say, reference the podcast and he'll send you a free copy of the book. I've read the book and it's a great book and it's, it's an amazing, we talk about it for a little while in the movie, but I suppose in a way that um, I grew up with the idea that um, most psychedelics were um, horrendously dangerous. And, you know, the the world has changed so much that it is now a billion dollar industry and MDMA in particular, it looks like it's, it's will probably be available for therapeutic use given um, all the results that has been seen over the last few years um, for the treatment of PTSD. So it's kind of, you know, I, I love um, when there's utterly alternative views of things and it's, it's no longer just a viewpoint. The, the data is in and the big money people are back in this industry. So it's, it is no longer just an idea. It, um, it's, it's heading in a, in a very particular way. Um, so we talk about all that. And um, but I wanted to introduce here just to say that his book, um, you can get a free copy um, if you go onto his website. Your neighbors are doing psychedelics, and I'll put the email address that you can use to contact him as well. All right, enjoy. Bye bye. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Frank? Very good. It's a, it's a, is it a year? It's not, it's a year anyway. It's at least a year. Yeah. I think it's going on like a year and a half. We've been trying to plan this. It feels like it anyway. So when did I chat to you? So it was a year and a half ago. So I wrote the story about your film, 5MEO. Um, I think it was March 2021. I believe, or 2020, it must have been. Because okay. it was just a couple months after yours had come out. Okay, so March 2020 is before the world, let's just say, went a little bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. Even more, I, even more crazy. But that that would have been then, if that was coming out, that would have been, March 2020 was, 
because that was back when that because I got I was sick then I got COVID back in March 2020 like I got the first dose of it did you really time. yeah I did yeah 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 that you might know, have actually, impacted things yeah I just went and looked at it it's actually March 2021 okay it's not 2020 so it is about a year it's a year okay that would make more sense yeah because I was trying to do the the yeah, all right. Well, so it's a year and a bit. The world is still crazy. The world is just it's nuts crazy. anyway. It's not, it wasn't like less crazy, you know, the last No, while. no. And it's like a time warp through this whole thing. I swear I can't figure if I've seen someone six months ago or three years ago. So everything's yeah. jacked up. You kind of, you, you really don't realize what you've got used to and what you've not got used to. Like, I think my wife was talking about we were going out for dinner and it was kind of something that we just totally took for granted. And it became way less of a things have totally opened up here now. Oh, good. And as of Monday, then everything it's over as far as I know, which is just wonderful. Um, So life, but yeah, I mean, it's very much a world like this, like, you know, the screens talking to people, a lot of so much of that in the last year and a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not really a surrogate for communication. It's, it's a, it's kind of a sad one. Uh, I mean, it's nice that we can connect like this and this has become something that people are are more comfortable with, but yeah, there's nothing like sitting with someone having a beer and conversation. Oh, the energy is totally different. Um, Actually, that reminds me of when you, uh, when you had written the story, I remember uh, you sent me a picture because I was giving you, I, I think I gave you an edit of some link or something like that. And you sent me a picture of some lovely craft beer bar oh, yeah. on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. There, and I went, oh, I would love that now. That's just right up my street. Oh, it was so good. We were in the Pacific Northwest too, where my family lives. So just like idyllic, beautiful glaciers and orcas out in the water and oh. having a, just this beautiful IPA. Yeah, it was wonderful. It's uh, we were actually out and about. They were they were letting us go out, and um, I think we even had masks down. So it felt like things were lifting. Then it was, but you know, a year yeah. later, here we are. Yeah. So and uh, well, I mean, it's 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 almost it's interesting. Um, it's almost it's not quite politics and religion, but it is as well. If there's if there's different views, let's just say. And there's a family dinner. I think, you know, politics, let's leave that off the table. Let's leave yeah. religion off the table. And do you know what? Let's leave COVID off the table. Completely off the table. Yeah, that's yeah. been the, the third or the fourth one to add to that. Um, yeah, what a mess. But it feels, feels good. Here in, uh, I'm in the Bay Area now. I've been traveling up to Seattle quite a bit. And now I'm back here in the Bay. And we've opened up too. So okay. it's going to be, be nice to get out and, and see people. Yeah, sure. it's just the relaxation of it. It's, uh, yeah. Um, let's just hope that's the end of it. I mean, I, I don't, you know, if the, uh, it seems to be new, the, the, let's say the main, it's something I was told to somebody about this, like, it's like as if, you know, if you say you're plugged into the media and the TV stations and all that, there's a singular kind of, let's say, storyline we're getting a little bit but you know it's a storyline and the storyline for the last two years has been COVID now all of a sudden if if you're plugged into that storyline now it seems to be it's Russia and I'm kind of going right well actually look you know let them off to play war 
I don't really care about that. It's not it's not on my doorstep. I'm, I mean, yeah. I may well, but I kind of just I, I'm going to unplug. Well, let's see what happens. But you know what I mean? It's just that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to unplug. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. I've been keyed into the Russia situation. Um, uh, Jennifer, my fiance, and I have some friends that are from Ukraine. Okay. So, yeah, I've been I've been kind of uh, watching that pretty closely. So yeah, it's all all went from kind of COVID to bam over to that. It's just funny how quickly. Yeah, and like if you're say you just decide, you know what, I'm not going looking at somehow. If you're if you're not looking at the news and you're not looking at social media, well then there's nothing happening really. You're just moving, yeah. you know, you're just putting out the trash and picking up the dog shit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and there's nothing much. But then, but the main story, and like you'll have your own relationship storylines and family storylines and job, all these. But the the primary one. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just odd. Uh, yeah, the, I guess Russia. So, what are your friends saying in Ukraine? What uh, are they? It's a mixed bag. The w- one of them that lives in Kiev is saying not much is happening. We're not really all that afraid of you know a Russian invasion. Uh, the people that are living closer towards the Donbass and and you know that whole region in the east yeah. are are afraid and feeling. Okay. And I guess that sort of makes sense because that's where the activity is going. Um, but it's all kind of uh, just like COVID, just a whole lot of misinformation, weird information floating around, nothing to grab onto. There's nothing like they've attacked, they're coming in. You know, it's yeah. all this soft. I think it's well, he's soft kind of, it's kind of interesting to describe something as a peacekeeping force, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to go in to keep the peace. All right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if we've. Uh, Somebody else used that when they were going into Poland a few years back, and right. they were in to protect people and keep people safe. So anyway, it's another. That's a a rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I mean, anyway, let's we we'll we'll come out of we'll come out of that for the moment. Um, yeah. Thanks, Emil, for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm real stoked we can talk. Yeah, it's it was when you. See, our movie really hasn't didn't get much publicity. I mean, but then we got. I, I like to say, oh well, we are in Forbes magazine, uh, you know, yeah, because it sounds great, and it's it's pretty amazing that a magazine like that would go with mostly, let's say, stories about alternative movies are confined to the good grace of a blogger somewhere, not yeah. a mainstream. Um, significantly mainstream platform like Forbes magazine to talk about our movie. It was kind of mind blowing at the time. So how, how does that, how does it, does it happen that you, well, there's, there's loads of questions there, but let's take Forbes. Yeah. How does it happen that Forbes and you got together and that they're good with writing stories about yeah. psychedelics? Yeah. yeah. That's a question that, that people ask me and, and, uh, before I, I came to write for Forbes, I thought the same thing. It would be impossible to write about this mm. um, because it's a pretty, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not like right leaning or anything like that, but it's a very serious kind of venerable. It's been around for, you know, I think at least 80 years, if not like a hundred, yeah. um, you know, an investor focused, um, very serious, you know, people's money, they take that seriously. So yeah. uh, I think it was in 2018 uh, I had been writing about cannabis for about four or five years for a magazine called Cannabis Now, 
And I had an opportunity to talk with an editor at Forbes. And I said, hey, do you need anyone to write serious stories about cannabis? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing kind of uh, high times leaning stuff. I, I really wanted to know what was going on uh, with all the states going legal in the U.S., with Canada about to go legal. And they said, sure, you know, we, we love the writing that you've done for Cannabis Now. We'd love to have you on, on uh, our contributors list. So I did that for uh, about a year and a half, two years. And um, I, in San Francisco, saw the premiere of the film Fantastic Fungi. And it, yeah. it you know, was getting a bunch, of, a bunch of press prior to coming out. Um, and it looked really beautiful. And a friend of mine had bought some tickets. And I went to go see that. And I was blown away by it and had known about the Hopkins research with psilocybin and treating depression and end of life fear. Um, but when I saw that film, particularly Paul Stamets's story, have you seen the film? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Stamets. I met Paul Stamets. Um, oh, you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Very briefly now, but you know, it was one of these, hello. Yeah. yeah he's a... <laughs> let you, you really let yourself down and you go, can I take a selfie? But yeah. I did. Oh, you got to. You absolutely <laughs> I think have you have to. to. Somebody you admire, you just goes, you know what? Uh, you know. You've got to, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, Paul Stamets' story, um, I, I think it's pretty pretty widely widely told. Uh, you know, seen it on YouTube quite a bit, um, where he tells the story of uh, overcoming his stutter. Yeah. He, he was he was he had stuttered for for many years um, through a psilocybin trip. And I mean, it just kind of like rocked me to the core to hear that on, on top of, you know, the, the Hopkins work and of course, Imperial College London and just all these uh, research facilities or universities that, that have been coming out with all this information on psychedelics. And uh, I was talking to my fiance, Jennifer, uh, that it'd be nice to write about this, but it's, you know, far removed from cannabis. And, and she was actually said I should pitch uh, Forbes the, the idea of writing about fantastic fungi. And I said, there's no way they would accept that. That cannabis and psychedelics are, you know, not the same thing, even though people might put them into the same kind of stoner category. Um, and, and the next day I thought about it and I was like, you know, I'm just going to ask my editor at Forbes if I can uh, expand my lane into sort of all psychoactive drugs. Yeah. And I did. And the guy got back to me immediately. And he's one of the top editors there for the contributors in, in kind of my area of Forbes, which is strictly online, the, the writing that I do. Yeah. Uh, and he said, yes, go for it. Just stick to, I can't remember how he phrased it exactly, but it was something like, you know, fo follow the laws but bend them where you can, you know, so yeah, okay. something like that, you know, of course they, it, it all has to be legal what I'm talking about. Um, but there are ways to, to kind of walk around this and still offer people valuable information, you know, safety tips, um, countries where they can go, where, where substances aren't, aren't controlled substances that are in the United States. Uh, so yeah, it, it started with that. And I guess that was now two, three years ago. Um, and it started with that fantastic fungi review. Uh, can I ask you then, you yeah. just the way you described your kind of excitement and your being blown away by the, by the movie, uh, but what was your, 
was it the fact that there was a movie made or was it the content about psychedelics that you just hadn't thought about psychedelics like that? I, yeah, I had thought about psychedelics like that, but I think it was the fact that I was sitting in this theater. It is San Francisco, so it's very, you know, open-minded, but you know, something like a thousand people watching this film that felt very mainstream to me mm-hmm. and that the conversation, you know, how to change your mind, Michael Pollan's book had come about uh, there was that 60 Minutes uh, segment that was talking about the Hopkins research had happened, I, I believe, already. Um, but it was just the fact that it was becoming so big and mainstream. That yeah. was what got me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, even for Forbes, you would have thought the fact that it's becoming, it is already billions, billions have gone into it. So it, it is... Um, I mean, there's lots talk that it would be for them, you know, the new cannabis in terms of an industry. I don't think that's quite happened, but I mean, it's, it seems like the road has continued. Uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that has happened. It is kind of the new cannabis in a way. Um, it isn't happening in the sense that take, for instance, in the U S where, where I'm at, where states are becoming legal, except for Oregon. I mean, that was a, that was a huge happening. Our, our state of Oregon uh, legalized psilocybin, which I could have never seen yeah. happening, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, but psychedelics have sort of, I think that they've gone beyond what cannabis or, or they soon will go beyond what cannabis can um, because it's, we still are federally illegal for cannabis. It's just a state by state kind of situation here where it's legal. Uh, but psychedelics are being respected in a way that uh, federal research dollars are now going into it in the U.S. And not mm-hmm. a ton, but enough. And it's being studied at universities, which that didn't happen with cannabis when cannabis was ramping up and becoming legal. You didn't see it available for study in places like Hopkins or Madison, Wisconsin. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a big university in, in the state of Wisconsin. You didn't see it at UCSF here in San Francisco. They, cannabis was still just forbidden. And psychedelics aren't. They're getting into those research facilities like they did in the 50s before, you know, everything went sideways in the 70s. Yeah, I think the industry is definitely far less about, like, if you would say that predominantly cannabis is, is about the kind of personal usage of it, the psychedelic industry is all about the therapeutic use. That's what it seems to be. So one is recreational and the other one is therapeutical. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Recreational versus therapeutic. And the therapeutic doesn't, I think that sets off alarm bells for people when they hear therapeutic, that the very next thing they hear is big pharma and, you know, the government taking over corporadelic, you know, kind of kind of situation with um with big business sort of stealing what uh psychonauts have worked on for you know 80 years or whatever uh but when when i hear therapeutic i think of it in the sense of like an oregon where they're taking their time putting together their psilocybin uh regulations so i don't know if you saw recently with um the the new i don't know that they have actually enacted this and and put it into law there in Oregon, but um, they want to have it so that it's natural mushrooms that are used, natural psilocybin uh, that is legal for use and not synthetic. 
Okay, wow. Which will be, that's a big, a big deal because obviously Compass Pathways who are, have created uh, synthetic psilocybin, they have a stake in being one of the first, you know, I would believe the first to supply a place like Oregon that's going to be the testing market, I guess you could say for like the whole United States, but even like the rest of the world. So they're doing it in this way that uh, thinks about the the person who's growing mushrooms about the the heritage of mushrooms um so it feels to me less less kind of big pharma takeover which is which is nice you know yeah well, that's interesting it's come around like that um really because uh, you would have thought that the big business would drive it but then you can't imagine if <laughs> if this if board of directors try their product you you would have thought that that will kind of let's just say maybe this is not true for everybody but might break apart any kind of rigid views of how things should definitely be if they take a decent enough dollop of their products i think that's a fair statement yeah they might let go of all those they might just go okay but then it needs to make it in a way it it does Like I have so many different views on it, but I I think, you know, for those who are psychonauts and want to take it, I think people should be able to take it under the right environments, etc. But I think for for the people that it could actually do something for, having it in a controlled environment, having having the structures of, let's say a a process and a way to do it and and a a beautiful environment, it's Mm -hmm. it's and bringing it into the modern world hundreds of years ago would have been done with shamans and it was done in a correct way and trying to bring that into the modern world. I, I do think there's something really powerful in that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people, um, people email me all the time and ask to be connected with facilitators. It's funny. They, it's not like drug seeking either. It's not, it's not people mm. saying, can you hook me up? Which I would have thought I'd get more of that. Uh, it's, serious people who are you know suffering or know someone who's suffering ptsd anxiety whatever particularly through the pandemic and they're asking me for um tips on how to basically have a successful trip you know they're they're asking me i'm just a writer i mean i hold no degrees you know i have a a four-year degree from a university in english literature but um i'm i'm not the guy that they should be asking of you know information on this stuff but i i do have a lot of information at my fingertips so i'm able to give you know some some advice and point them towards uh research that's going on and best practices there are lots of uh really well-respected groups that are kind of in the underground that show people just the basics of you know maybe set an intention maybe don't um don't play music that has any kind of uh a personal connection to it because that could draw you down a certain road. Like there, there are just these things that people have no idea about, but in the structure like that you described uh, where you do it in a, a therapeutic way with perhaps a psychotherapist, they will know all of those small things that become really big things when you trip, you know, yeah. playing the song at the wrong time that reminds <laughs> you of your, your lover, you know, <laughs> when you're 28, that did you wrong. Like that, that could Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. There's just so much to talk about there. Like, but yeah. you know, I mean, a, a tiny speck of dust 
could send you down it could. any kind of an alleyway. And that's the unimaginable. But there is something, like when I heard about them, uh, I had heard about them when I was younger, obviously, like most of us had. And there was obviously a view of them. And I and I was always, I kept, I, you know, I was very naive, really. And I just went, I'm staying a million miles away from all that. And but when I kind of started to hear about them, maybe whenever it was five, six years ago, so 46, it would have been when I was 40. It's quite exciting to hear it in a different way, to hear about the mind expansive, the therapeutics, or even things like, you know, things like people giving up cigarettes or whatever it may have been. There was a sprouting of an industry that I know if it came to someone like me, that means there was a lot of, and which I subsequently found out about, there was a huge amount of work prior to that. But it, yeah. of all the the new industries, to me, it seemed really like I was grabbed by the, the fact that this thing that I was terrified, something like acid or MDMA or mushrooms, that that suddenly they were becoming words like therapeutics were being used that just that's you talked about you know when you were um in the cinema that blew my brains at the time I just wanted to hear more and more and more because it was just so different than anything I'd ever heard about you know yeah same with me something that was pivotal in in besides fantastic fungi prior to that was um all of the news around MDMA uh, chewing your brain up, you know, and and making Swiss cheese of young minds, you know, yeah. their, their brains, literally their brains, like it, it was doing uh, something terrible, uh, you know, just robbing the brain of serotonin and dopamine. And of course, that can happen with like really excessive use. A lot of times it's adulterants that are that are put into so-called MDMA. But that was the message, right? That was really all you heard about MDMA. And then I had a pure MDMA experience, uh, you know, with a pure molecule, like yeah. uh, someone someone had, had provided me. And I, it, it was probably to date one one of the top ten experiences of my life. That I even telling it right now, I get a little bit of goosebumps um, of the feeling I had, and that's a chemical feeling that my brain just did reminded me of an expansion that I had and you know neurogenesis all all that neuroplasticity that that blew my mind that I was hearing all this information about it that was negative and I was hearing very little of the positive and as a writer uh, that's like okay that's a perfect ground to go find some information and, and plant some seeds to to open up information about this to kind of the masses. And when, when I have a platform like Forbes and I'm given a long leash to, to talk about this stuff, that's a, that's a really powerful um, position to be in, not, not in the sense that I have power, but to be able to open up the conversation, you know, it is, it feels. It's it's exciting. Like, you know, it's an exciting area in loads of different ways for the good, the bad, the, it's 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 such a huge like uh, take MDMA. That's is, I know you have a book on that, so we talk a little yeah. bit about that. But we, um, if you take that one, so uh, maybe in my thirties, I had some uh, ecstasy at a festival, and um, 
Mom is conscious of my kids downstairs when I start yeah. talking about this. I always wonder um, about I, that. I, I can't do it. I was going, am I loud now? Can you hear me? Because he's, he's down below. So. <laughs> you have teenagers, right? I have, yeah, a 16, a nearly 16 year old and a nearly 15 year old. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, but so I, I would have experiences of it, but my experiences of it would be time in my life, but then the come down was yeah. like, you know, the entire, you know, you, t- and my expression used to be, you take from the happy bank and you're going to give back because, but I, I, I I'm, but then I was drinking loads of alcohol. Yeah. I was, I, I, it was a total association with the festival it was definitely more love than I had ever experienced. But then the down was like nothing. You know, it was like, uh, you know, my belly had been scraped out and turned up and there was no soul, there was no spirit left yeah. for a couple of days. And what's, yeah. what's that? Is that that it's just shit, there were shit, there was a little bit of goodness in them, but there were shit drugs? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening there. For years, um, I I didn't recognize that alcohol can really take away from from the experience of a of a good, you know, psychedelic experience. And I think it just competes and messes with your um, your neuro, you know, with, with the dopamine and serotonin. I think it really interferes, mm-hmm. not to mention dehydration. You know, you, you maybe don't even recognize that you're getting dehydrated and you're bombing another few pints and it's just pushing you down this road of dehydration. And like you said, that all comes due the next day. I, I experienced that so many times where I would think never again, you know, like, yeah, never like again. This, no, this isn't worth it. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and then there's, there's that, I would say, you know, even still with, with all of the pill testing that's available, um, it feels like, you know, 90% of people that I talk to at least um, don't get their drugs tested. It, mm. You know, so you just have no idea if, if they've, Put in a little bit of uh, ephedrine or you know ketamine or something again that like competes or just takes your body off into a whole different direction uh, so that that next day it just catches up with you you know yeah um, so then so that's so that my what I've been curious about then as well the experience because obviously it's very close it's very close to being approved isn't it at the moment mdma is for for ptsd is that right yeah Yeah. it is so obviously then the pure molecule they're not obviously going to be drinking i know that that's an obvious thing but there's obviously a way then for something like mdma to be taken and for it to have miraculous results absolutely yeah um the you know they're with any medication um, there, there's bound to be, uh, you know, a, a bit of a downside. Like I, I liken it to like a surgery, like MDMA therapy feels to me like a necessary surgery. And, you know, if you go in to have a total knee or whatever, you're having something big that's transforming inside of your neurochemistry and, you know, your mind, it's a, it's kind of a full body experience. So you're pretty much guaranteed to have a next day where you're worn out. You know, I, I've spoken with uh, neuroscientists and, and psychologists who are really familiar with um, dealing with people who who take an MDMA for psychotherapy. And they say the next day, just wipe your calendar clean. Even if you've had 
you know, the perf perfect uh, MDMA that's been tested and you have a, a very um, controlled setting where you've, you've done it and you've, you know, hydrated and all the things that you should, even so, it just, it, it just works the body to go through it. Um, so, you know, there, it's, so is it, it's a kind of a tenderness, a vulnerability, which yeah. would be linked with, you know, for me, psychedelics, that would be in your, which I, I know MDMA is, but it doesn't seem like it's the, it's not, it's a different, is it different than magic mushrooms and LSD is, it is a different experience. It is. Yeah, it is definitely different. Um, it, this has been something that from the beginning, when I, when I thought of the idea to write about all of these different drugs, um, not all of them are classic psychedelics. The classic psychedelics are LSD, psilocybin, mescaline. Uh, those, those tend to be the ones that tryptamines that yeah. are called psychedelics, MDMA, uh, 5-MeO, they, they, they don't necessarily fall into a psychedelic category, but people tend to call them psychedelics uh, just as a shorthand, you know, yeah. but, but they are very different. I mean, MDMA is, is acting on the body in a, in a very different way than psilocybin. Um, it's just all that neurochemistry is just a, a little bit different enough to be acting in different parts of the brain, you know, yeah. uh, magic mushrooms, of course, can provide visuals and uh, can bring you to ego dissolution, you know, just you know, like so-called like ego death. MDMA doesn't tend to bring people there. Um, it, it calms down the areas of the brain that uh, are making people uh, very anxious and, and the fight or flight kind of, uh, kind of, kind of cause and effect that's happening in the body with people with PTSD. They're, they're just constantly, uh, reliving their trauma and, and going back to their trauma, it MDMA calms that part of the brain down and fires up the frontal part of the brain so that you're able to kind of walk through your trauma without being lit up by the, the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that's saying, run, run, or fight, fight, you know, yeah. it, it, so, so you're able to kind of uh, reason through your traumas and pick them apart as though it's a third person that you're talking about while, while at the same time, knowing that you're still yourself, but you're, you have this distance. Um, that, that's, that's the beauty of MDMA. Uh, psilocybin, I, I think, acts a little bit differently. You're just sort of thrown into, uh, for, for me at least, into kind of a dream state uh, where, where also you kind of approach things uh, in, in a like creative manner, right. Mm -hmm. Where, where you're able to look at your life in different ways and look at it in the, in the kind of sense of being part of the universe or just part of your community. Um, yeah. so very, very different, very different. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very curious about, um, MDMA because of, obviously the experience when I'm younger and then just recognizing that it's done in a different way, in the correct way. And, and now given the huge amount of, it probably will be the first of yeah. that sort of category, let's just say mind altering category that will be outside of cannabis that will be approved. Is that, would you, do you see that happening? 
I do, but there's ketamine that okay. has, Sorry, I'm not yeah, yeah. sure how, how that looks in Europe. Um, I, I believe there's ketamine use in Europe, uh, but in the U.S., where I, I'm more focused, that has become the really the first one. And again, that, that one is a dissociative, is how, how they refer to that drug, uh, not a psychedelic, but it tends to be called a psychedelic because it does provide people with you know, this kind of uh, blast off into the universe and, and puts them in a frame of mind where they're able to kind of think about their problems. Um, so ketamine really is, is the first that okay. uh, has been a couple years now that's been used, but it's different than MDMA, uh, different in the sense that, of course, it's, it's a different drug, uh, but its application um, let me see how to, how to like best explain this. I guess it's that ketamine has been around since uh, roughly the Vietnam War. It, it was used as uh, an anesthetic. Yeah. And they started to see that um, it was helping people with depression. Like they'd, they'd come out of being under ketamine for surgery or whatever. Um, and they would feel less, less depressed. So this has been known for, you know, 60 years or so. Um, with MDMA, Rick Doblin was really the the, the force in yeah. the 80s that that sort of I mean there were there were plenty of people before him that you know helped helped move it along, but he was one of the first ones who was this activist and political force to begin the, the study of MDMA with uh, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, and that guy has just been pushing a boulder up a hill. Yeah. to have this looked every which way through the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, which, you know, regulates drugs in, in the United States. So it it kind of has more, I don't know if I'd say like more gravitas than um, ketamine, but it, I think it's been studied more and, and deep in a deeper way for PTSD mm-hmm. and has proven you know, outstanding numbers, like something like two thirds of the people that go through MDMA assisted therapy uh, with like three sessions, like the guy, Nick, in, in my book, yeah. um, two thirds of the people are, I don't, I don't know if you'd say cured, but their symptoms are lessened to such a degree that the scale that they use to uh, test to see if a person still still is experiencing MDMA, two thirds of them say, I, I don't feel anywhere close to the way I did suicidal needing drugs, you know, uh, SSRIs and stuff like that. And that's amazing. I mean, that's, yeah, it, it really, I mean, in a kind of a, is it fair to say in a saner world, let's just say where money wasn't everything, this would have been, this would be approved years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it absolutely Absolutely would have, um, you know, also in a world where there wasn't the 80s, you know, and and the 70s and the war on drugs. Yeah, like that that was that was definitely a setback. Um, so, yeah, in, in a saner world. Um, and that, like in a way that that's the kind of history it's fair to say if you were to say the 70s and 80s, like because if you went back to the 50s and 40s when psychedelics were seemed to be coming on the scene you know at the time it was they were seen as mind blown for the psychotherapist they all looked at these and went 
these chemicals are phenomenal. Yeah. And then it really was the late 70s, 80s and the crackdown on, I suppose, LSD in particular. That's where that's where it came off. Is it that's where everything kind of came to a grinding? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was, you know, it was wrapped up in cannabis, LSD, uh, mescaline. It was just all of this that had had leaked out of um, the research facilities of the 50s into the free love and anti-war protests of of the 60s and by the time really nixon came along in the in the 1970s like 70 71 he just brought the hammer down on expanding your mind you know which is they were people in colleges you know kids in in school of course that were into that through the 60s um, it was a way to just go, nope, you're not going to have this. Yeah, you know, like it, this. It, I remember saying to Amanda Fielding, like, um, something like, you know, we all, most of us grew up with the idea of hippie being they're wasters, they're terrible. Like, you know, that's the idea we grew up with in all sincerity. We, and yeah, as opposed to, oh, they didn't want to, they didn't want to go to war, they believed in art and fresh food and in love free not quite free love but love in general everything that yeah. they do was colorful and symbolic of that and somehow that got twisted into this idea that they're terrible wasters they should be getting a job and working nine to five and what's wrong with them isn't it yeah. funny like that's the truth isn't it we it I, I definitely grew up with that look at the bloody hippie how yeah oh yeah. for sure you saw the waster in a volkswagen van in, in yeah. california you know, it was like, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be yeah. happy like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't I don't want, want to be, be enlightened. Like him going off. He's probably going surfing in the afternoon. He's supposed to get a good job and keeping it, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it, it must have, you know, things just really, really went south during that period. It must have had to do with um, television and, you know, the, the, the widespread, everything from the Vietnam War being filmed uh, you know, I think it was, it might have been the Korean War, but I think it was the Vietnam War was like the first war where it came into the living room, you know, for, mm. for people. Uh, so young kids were probably like, I don't want to go fight in that, in that thing. You know, yeah. it's all this information coming at them kind of in the same way that we get so much information these days with YouTube and just with the internet. But, but then there was also in the same way that we get, uh, sensationalized news there was also the report from uh you know a newscaster talking about the kid that went out of his mind on lsd and jumped through a window and yeah. you know that that was one kid probably out of out of tens of thousands if not more that had probably you know chemistry that was maybe going to drive drive them to that and it just happened fast with with lsd but that became the narrative it was this stuff drives you crazy I you know? I always, I always wonder. Just you say, I always wonder why don't they ever, you know, when you, in the story of it, why don't they jump off from the ground? Why do they have to climb to the top of the building if they're <laughs> so confident they're going to fly? You know, why don't yeah. they just go from the ground? They don't need to go off the top of the building. Yeah, but they anyway, can just do a belly flop onto the ground. Yeah, exactly. You know, jump <laughs> on the bed. That's you know, that you have fun. But yeah. but that's you, you, it's obvious though in a way that there's something else you don't it's not conspiracy to imagine like that thousands of lives are ruined from alcohol from cigarettes from yeah. 
from alcoholism, from all the damage of drink. I mean, let's, it's in the thousands, the hundreds of thousands, the damage. Yeah. But then the one story about this is front and center. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And back to your uh, what what you were talking about a few minutes ago, um, the the kind of money side of this. Uh, this this would have happened a lot sooner, I think, if it wasn't if there wasn't like the profit motive. There is the profit motive to put uh, every kind of liquor you can think of in just about every kind of store you can think of in the United States. We can get liquor everywhere. Yeah. If MDMA became legal, it's really not that expensive to make MDMA, mm-hmm. um, and it won't show up in in even our CVS. You know, at our at our drugstore, it'll be administered by by someone. Um, so, it, I, I think in a way, maybe they didn't see a way that they could make a profit from it. You know, through through the 80s or 90s. So it was so it was maybe just kind of not not studied you know no one looked at what rick doblin was doing and thought about a way to kind of help society you know it sort of blows my mind that there weren't more people um looking to help veterans for instance or cops or paramedics who like they all experience ptsd like ptsd on like a daily basis Mm -hmm. Uh, you know and that, that someone wouldn't think that uh there would be an alternative to Prozac. I mean, through the 80s, we were still seeing, I was as a kid, seeing Vietnam vets just destroyed by a war that happened 20 years prior to that. Yeah. You know, and, and then in the 90s, the Iraq war. And then, you know, 9-11 happens and then we, we get into another war. So it, there, the, there's been no lack of the amount of people that are suffering from PTSD and just generalized anxiety. Yeah, you don't need to go to war for something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm. So, so it's you know, it's it's about time that um, that this is coming to fruition for T- PTSD specifically with Rick Doblin and Maps, and now phase, they're in phase three, and it's looking like I don't know, it's 2023. It could be showing up as you know a legal doctor administered drug oh yeah you see it'll be uh, if what would be really interesting is say you're i studied psychotherapy for a while and um and i was always curious like at what point at what point in the interaction um would I was just trying to imagine if you know when a psychotherapy so say somebody's coming for depression or you could say that's more psychological but I, I don't really think so somebody it depends where they're at in life but say it's um they're they're talking to a psychotherapist at what point would they recommend you know that maybe they'd have a few sessions and they'd kind of go okay look um there's a couple of roads we could go down here one is um Prozac um or one is we just keep talking, uh, or another is um, uh, we've seen some phenomenal results with MDMA and the, and joined up with really good therapy, and uh, I, and that's something lives could be transformed within a couple of months. Uh, sorry, it's way less than that even one session yeah. and the initial there could be a, a an initial boom 
Yeah. And then, you know, I actually don't know how it's done. You could tell me about that. But I think that is just phenomenal. As opposed to people looking at their lives and all they're doing is seeing a road of life, a clear path ahead of, I'm just going to be stuck here in this, and there's no way out or whatever the story is there. Yeah. To suddenly getting into a room and for that and for everything in a way to be lit up and seen in a fundamentally and totally different way. And for them to walk out the other side and going, right, well, maybe, maybe life is going to be different. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe that possibility won't be there. I think that's beautiful. It is. You know, I, I try to not like proselytize about this. And I probably already in the 45 minutes or so that we've spoken, I, I'm talking about this as though it's like the magic pill, you know, yeah. MDMA and just these in general. I, I have a fair amount of, um, I don't know if I'd say skepticism, but I, I try to temper myself at times. I, it's not going to be for everyone. You know, for mm. instance, MDMA therapy won't cure everyone mm. uh it it it's it, some people will just be like "Ooh, ecstasy no way that's a drug i i can't touch that but what you had said about you know being on ssris or you know kind of cognitive behavioral therapy that just goes on and on and on for years or psychotherapy that goes on and on for years it feels to me like managing symptoms you know yeah. and, and i'm sure people get healed through psychotherapy and maybe when they're going through very difficult uh, times in depression or, or PTSD or anxiety, that SSRIs can be really helpful. But like you said, that long road, when I think of my life 10 years from now and I'm still taking this medicine, it feels uh, it feels even more depressing than, than or, you know, as depressing. Well, you, but it is that, though. You see, if you would take the pattern, whatever, let's say one of the patterns is... Uh, the, the thought of I cannot see my life getting any better. I just mm-hmm. can't see a way out of this. Now, without getting that thought, I cannot see my life getting any better. It, it can hold and repeat. Now, that that is singular in its own self and it remains as solid, right? Now, you can just, that, that thought can, is not, it's not always there, but it come and go, come and go, and then amongst daily life of ups and downs and fatigue and whatever, like I'm not, what I'm trying to get to is that if that is there, that can be blown apart by a psychedelic. For so sure. That the thought doesn't, if the thought comes, it can just be seen as that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so in the case, do you mind if I talk about the, my book? The, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Go, so this is like yeah. a, a yeah. per- perfect it's, place to, to describe Promote. yeah yeah <laughs> thank you yeah it, it's a it, like nick's story uh nick watchhorn his, his story is like a, a perfect segue into uh how mdma assisted therapy more or less works and the benefit for a guy like him who is in that kind of tight position that you're talking about that's kind of rinse repeat of uh stuck in stuck in this mindset and just not able to get out of it so Nick Watchhorn was a policeman uh, who arrived on the scene of the Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania, Australia in 1996. And if that doesn't ring a bell for people, it was the single worst uh, lone gunman shooting in Australia's history. 
and subsequently ended up changing Australia's um, gun laws. And it's it's essentially the reason why gun laws are fairly strict in Australia. But um, it was such a humongous happening in Australia. Something like this hadn't happened, you know, by comparison to America, where we see, you know, these shootings frequently. If you, it's sad to say, but if if you hear about a mass shooting here in the U.S. and it's not more than like five people, you go, oh, it was just an incident, you know, yeah. uh, five people killed, I should say. So this yeah. was 30 people, uh, I believe the number was, were were killed. Uh, something 20 or 30 people were wounded. It was just this like horrific situation that Nick Watchorn showed up to and was devastated over the few days that he had to be there on the scene collecting evidence. I mean, he saw, you know, bodies mangled, uh, young, old man, woman, child, just kind of difficult to like describe it. He describes it in my book, um, what he went through, but he had, and he didn't really identify it, but years of PTSD that he suffered from anxiety, depression, like runaway alcohol use. Uh, he quit the police force due due to just not being able to cope. And this is like a solid individual. I mean, he he was probably the exact guy that you want to show up when the shit goes down and, you know, you need a cop. Like this guy is as solid as they come. And he was just falling apart. He, he ends up... Uh, quitting his job as a policeman. He was, he was on the ups. I mean, he was, um, I think he might've been like a sergeant or lieutenant or something, you know, anyway, moving up the ranks of, of the police force in Tasmania and divorced his wife, left Australia, came to the U.S. And roughly 20 years later, after taking SSRIs and just loads of different medications, he is a uh, switching health plans and it goes to a different doctor because of this, a different psychiatrist. And the guy in the Bay area happens to just mention, Hey, you know, you're on a lot of stuff that I can't even really identify how you were given all of these prescriptions over all these years. We need to back off on some of this stuff. And by the way, and he said this on the download to him, there's this thing, this research that's being done for a person just like yourself would, would fit into uh, the trials for this with MDMA. And he said, I can't, you know, advise you to go to this. I can just give you the information on it. He, he had to do that for, uh, you know, uh, laws around his licensing as a doctor, yeah. which in itself is, it's crazy, you know, that, yeah. that he had to do that. Um, so Nick, Subsequently goes to, uh, or he applies for this, something like 900 people apply for it as well. All of them have symptoms of PTSD. I think like for more than 14 years is, is you know, part of the uh, prerequisite. And he's accepted, he's one or two people that's accepted from this like group of 900 people. Um, and he goes through this and has this kind of epic, um, rise and fall of, you know, it's, uh, he, I, I don't want to give too much of, of the book away because I'd love people to read it, yeah. but he has never tried a drug in his life. Not so much as, as smoked a joint, he says, and, and, I, and I believe him. Um, and 
and he's going into this, you know, pretty heavy experience with a, a drug that's going to take him over. And he has no idea what to expect. Um, a really courageous act by the guy, in in my opinion. Um, and he ends up being one of the people that's those two thirds that are essentially cured by PTSD. But what he goes through in his arc. Of, yeah, yeah, you kind of you've, you've set it lovely. You, you've set it up lovely. Okay, they, good, they can good. check the book. They can check the okay. book out. Um, what I. Uh, because I've read it and I don't want to give it away. I, I think yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 you've laid it, you know, it's going to be good, but you, you know, he's in the two thirds, but go and oh. check it out. Yeah, good. Yeah. I have this kind of, um, my sense of, uh, say, uh, say you're very young, right? And somebody says something to you that is, oh, see, you're very young, three or four, or somebody says something very shocking to you. And I think it kind of scars the brain for whatever reason. The brain is just so soft. This is just, there's no science to what I'm saying here. It's just a thought of as to why. So say that may reappear as an intrusive thought or it may come back and say, then you see something incredibly, even though you're an, you're an adult you're, and your brain is kind of hardened, you know, let's just say still yeah. something really shocking can can scar that brain that it just it doesn't it need it doesn't change it stays and it and it remains and whatever way the body has to take it in but there's a kind of a mark the brain's marked the same yeah. way like a beautiful positive memory the the brain stores it but it's it's a different sort of a a memory in a way and I'm I'm curious about like the physicality like the brain obviously we just know so little in a way we know so little about something really like that we can say yeah. relative things about the heart and we can say relative things about lots of other organs but the brain it, we have to tell a lot of um we've to we've to make a lot of leaps like in the yeah. way i'm making a leap there in my language by saying a scar yeah that's what it's kind i think it's kind of it must be something like that though and then so some so th then there's might be ways to create another story alongside it, say, through therapy, that maybe the brain can refer to that or cognitive behavior, so that there's a, a closer mark, you know, I, I'm stop me talking here, but then I'm so curious then what happens with something like a psychedelic that I think there's a possibility for that to be, well, maybe the scar remains, but then how it's seen. Yeah. Have you any idea what I'm talking about? You, you, you I know, do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You know, I think, <clears throat> I think you've nailed it. Um, you know, you, you aren't a scientist. So to speak about this science feels, feels like you're just sort of making things up, but you have kids, mm. you know, so you've seen the way uh, an event can, can turn them off or, you know, turn them, turn them on, you know, so you, you, yeah. All would, green things in your food is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. For example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have some understanding of, you know, small damage that can happen to human beings. Um, so I think in the, in the sense of the damage that happens with people when they're young like that, and that scar, it feels to me like this stamp that gets put on someone and uh, it, it becomes like a story that people tell themselves, you know, they, yeah. they, it just keeps getting replayed like a little tape that, that plays. And anytime they have something in their life that, 
reminds them of that thing, whatever it was that made them feel small or insignificant, whatever they, they replay it and it becomes who they are. Yeah. Right. And psychedelics in general have that beautiful way of, I, I think it's the default mode network is, is what it's called that kind of shuts off the story that we tell about ourselves, which is really just is a story. I mean, you know, you're a likable guy. Like there's so many nice things about you, but you may run to something, some wound that you had. If you're not feeling right today, or you had too much coffee or you're hungover, you may, you may run to this little wound you had. Mm. And that's the story that you kind of tell yourself. And the, the beauty with MDMA is those little scars or little uh, kind of imprints, um, they can be, like I was saying earlier, you can kind of step back, a person can step back from themselves and kind of rewrite the story. And, and there's, there's a lot of um, neurochemistry that's happening, but w- one of them is a release, <clears throat> they believe, of oxytocin which is what um, is released in uh, pregnant mothers and or mothers and infants. To, it's kind of like a bonding, um, drawing a blank. What, what, I think it's a neurochemical. Um, there are things that are released in your brain, specifically when you take MDMA, that give you that feeling, you know, the cuddle feeling that people have of MDMA. That's not just a tactile sensation that you feel on your head oh it's coming on you know that is a feeling that you want to hug and be hugged and you want to be warm with other people mm. and what ptsd does is pushes you away from other people in a sense and drives you kind of into your your those thoughts those little wounds that you've had but when you're on a drug like this you're able to feel that warmth and that comfort and that you're worthy while at the same time distancing yourself from that trauma while at the same time having the front of your brain lit up and i I always when i say this i always feel funny saying it but part of the mdma is methamphetamine that's Mm -hmm. that's what is a part of this molecule so it keeps that frontal lobe lit up so you're thinking and, and all your cognitive you know, forces are, are being brought to the forefront. So you're able to creatively, <clears throat> excuse me, you're able to creatively uh, problem solve. And, and all these things together make this kind of like super force. And here I am like being evangelical about this because I, I really do. The more I learn about this and the more I hear of you know, good outcomes, it's like, boy, all of the things that are happening here, it's about as magical as heart surgery must have been 40 years ago when they yeah. were like, the ventricle does this and this part does that. And it's machinery. You know, there, while a lot of, like you said, the brain is still a mystery to us, there are parts of the brain where they are, they know, you know, from doing, doing tests on rats and doing tests on F, MRIs on human beings that light up during these certain times. So they can make less of a, of a big leap. You know, they can, they can say this lights up and that lights up. This has to be the oxytocin flooding the body. This has to be the brain going through a cognitive checklist of how do I get over this trauma? How do I reprint, print over this trauma and have this trauma not be my main story I tell myself? 
And that, I mean, I don't know if I've lost people there with that kind of description. No, but, but, it, but it is, in, but in a way, um, the only difference, but, uh, like, it, I think the word loop is a good word because loops are it exposed is. on in psychedelics. So whatever the loop might be playing, it, they're all, they can be tiny little loops. And normally you're taken, on, you can be taken on a loop. And then somehow you kind of go, oh, God, I have to go. I'm doing that again. Yeah. And, and it seems highly, it seems a little bit crazy to go back through a loop again. Let's just say whatever that thought was, if you were to kind of look at the daily loops that are happening in the mind, sure, they're crazy. And this, it's been this, this loops upon loops upon loops upon loops, loops about food, about such and such a human, such... They're just playing out, but in psychedelics, I think the loops are exposed to be those, and they kind of don't. It's not like that you can find a start or an end point to them. Um, that, that there isn't necessarily, if you know what I mean. And um, and if you're even to go deep into that, you kind of go, well, you know, there's the loop of me, and all that that holes with it so that, that the, there's a, an apparent starting point which is the loop you know me, me i'm me and whatever i am and you know my name my age or whatever all those things that appear in the loop of me let's just say who i am what my job and blah 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 blah, blah and then the sensed feeling that i'm here i'm definitely in here but it is in a way loops upon loops upon loops one you know gazillions of loops like I was talking to somebody late one night and we were talking about you know that there's loops around some planet that they go out so far you can't see them to a certain point until they come back in and I think that's kind of like in life big loops and small loops and some of them some of these loops can be traumatic Absolutely. You know, the loop of your family and the loop of your career. I mean, though, you're right. That's a perfect word to describe that. And I think these little loops that you create when you're young or that are created, you know, upon you from traumas big and small, they can just continue to do that. Like like a song, you know, yeah. your, your, your bug or whatever they call it that gets caught in your head. I'll sometimes wake up in the middle of the night kind of half awake and I'm trying to work out one line that I've written that day that I didn't like and I'll write it literally a hundred times in my head and I, I can't stop it. It just goes. Oh God. And, and, and I think <laughs> just just the way a song would where you're like, get that freaking song out of my head. Um, uh... But I think psychedelics do expose how futile those loops can be yeah. and how they aren't useful um and and to sort of do away with them you know re replace i don't know if you replace them with something better but maybe it's like this doesn't serve me anymore yeah in a way they're just happening you know they are. they're really just happening because if, yeah. if you could if you were the one who figured out what loops to ring you know to to play it doesn't you know it it doesn't where are you located then that you're you're replaying this loop and that loop but anyway that's we're going down a, a lovely rabbit hole there but do you know yeah, what i'm yeah. saying like where i do you could I do. say they're just happening 
They're just happening. Like the wind is is sort of always happening. The waves are always rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Now and again, you go and you look at the waves or you see the wind because a tree swirls in a beautiful way. But it, yeah, those loops are just happening. And maybe, maybe the thing about um, traumas are you focus in on that wind and it really makes you cold and messes your hair up at the wrong time. Yeah. And maybe it's the loudest one. And and obviously some can affect you know the whole mechanism of the body i don't know i don't know enough about that um but yeah i mean it is it is unlike um in terms of the let's say the human being and like you know you were kind of saying you're skeptical i'm very skeptical too so i think we're both logical we want the data you want to be able to say like obviously you know there might be some confirmation bias if you've had great experiences that you you'll go looking but all the same but in a way it's quite good that it has to go through it's pity it's so slow but that they're going through all of these tests and that there will be no doubt then uh, when it's done to say, well, seven out of 10 people experience dramatic results. Two out of 10 people don't. Or, and some experience overwhelmingly phenomenal results. You know what I mean? So right. the, the science will guide this, which is, is is good for the area. So then it takes all the opinion out of it. It takes, like when I spoke to Robin Carhart Harris, he was kind of very, He's very conservative in his tone, and I kind of like that because somebody yeah. has to be to kind of just guide it so that it gets over the line and that it is approved and it is brought. Absolutely. I think that was the value of um, Michael Pollan's book. Yeah. For, for me, it was. You know, he he's this very erudite professor, UC Berkeley, <clears throat> Harvard hearing it from him that there was something here and shining a light on it made me made made a lot of people feel like okay someone's speaking about this with i mean he did do a lot of the drugs so he was he was in there with it yeah. including 5meo which we have to get on know, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but someone like him and you know robin Carhart harris um paul stamets all of those guys who have dedicated their lives really to um to this or to serious conversations, you know, in Pollen's case, serious conversations around food um, and, you know, eating better. I mean, he's a guy that people will listen to. And yeah, he's that, very credible. Yeah, he really He's is. very credible. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it needs that. Like, I remember uh, back when I was caught by this um, and I went to this conference on psychedelics in Amsterdam. That kind of just blew me away. The professionalism. This is because I had been to business ones over the years. You know these conferences, whatever is going on in them, and to have so many credible people really opened my eyes to the industry. But what I might, uh, um, I'm curious to kind of bring um, you back in time. Um, so you, you were obviously familiar with so cannabis obviously grabbed you and psychedelics but can you what happened in you know was were you very young when you happened upon upon psychedelics or how did you actually kind of get pulled into this you know I know you talked about we talked about your writing in the area but your own you mentioned literature I think for college yeah so yeah 
it's a very so, distinct industry, you know, to go into. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. I was, I was just kind of wayward, um, loved reading books as a kid. And, um, it was, it was really just almost like a liberal arts, like one of those, I'm going to college, you know, everyone in my family went to college. So I, I thought, okay, English literature sounds good. Perhaps I'll teach. We'll see when I get through with it, what I do with it. Um, but my first experience, like a lot of people did happen in college, uh, at University of California in Santa Barbara, which is absolutely gorgeous campus. It's this just like, they, they call it the club med experience of, of universities, like 90 miles north of Los Angeles. And it's just beautiful beachside mountains rising up a couple thousand feet. Just your kind of blonde babes, you know, okay. everywhere. People riding bikes. It's really, really beautiful place to go to school and a good school. It's actually become a better school since I, I went there like 25 years ago. Um, a, a friend of mine showed up. Uh, with some magic mushrooms and I had uh, quite a bit of fear because growing up through the 80s the story was you're going to go crazy you know that guy we talked about jumping off the building with LSD so I was scared to death the first time someone was like okay let's let's do this Um, and I ended up having uh, a you know what what I'm not sure at the time, but I wasn't sure at the time, but looking back on it real close to like ego dissolution. I mean, I, yeah. I was, we, we took a big amount. Neither one of us really knew what we were doing and walked all around the campus and these lagoons. Um, I had a moment where I felt like Beowulf, the creature from, from that famous story was coming mm-hmm. out of the lagoon and chasing me. I had this like gorgeous experience with these little plants and these trees that we were climbing on. I mean, it was really like a full eight hour experience of like one of the, one of the top experiences of my life, I have to say, which is, is, is kind of odd to call yeah. a psychedelics, uh, you know, experience, a top experience, but that was my, my first time. Um, and it, it was expand expansive. Is yeah. the only way I could say it. It changed changed my mind about how dangerous they were, but also changed made me think this is not something to be trifled with. Mm. You know, you could very easily take this into a, a very bad area if if you if you weren't careful or with the right people or in the right place. But in a know? way, I mean, I know they're obviously accepted as everything, but that is kind of part of the nature of them in the sense that maybe some that can get addicted but the nature of them really is because it's eight hours and it's there is a a wondrous relief when it's over to you know we don't talk about that but there it's kind of like oh god back to back to this i'm very happy to be back here yeah I gotta tell my mommy I love her. <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? You know, it's not like you're gonna go, right, let's get back going again. It's No. Yeah. You're right. They actually refer to them as anti addictive because yeah. directly after, yeah, you have that response of like, Ooh, I've been through something here and I don't need to jump right back into this. I can kind of reflect on it. Uh, but that's um yeah, that was my my first experience, and it, 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 there's something key that I I don't think I've ever spoken about in when I do interviews like this. Um, 
just prior to that, uh, I, I had interviewed uh, Timothy Leary. Wow. So, yeah, I, 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 sorry, it wasn't just prior to that. It was just after that. Um, I managed into a job where I was, I was working for this magazine and Leary, this was in 1996. Um, he was available for an interview and that's was, just, sorry. It is, there's something unbelievably synchronistic about psychedelics, but we might talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah synchronicity for sure. Yeah, and yeah. specifically, I mean, in general, but 5-MeO has a particular kind of fascinating thing with synchronicity that that occurs. Like people that I've interviewed um, have said that. But but the Timothy Leary thing kind of set me off into this uh, this direction that in the last 25, 30 years since then, um, I guess it's 25 years, I thought, boy, that really set a tone for me interviewing this guy at such a young age um, when I wasn't a guy who was doing psychedelics all the time. I was, you know, so-called like good kid. You know, I was, I was, I, I, you know, had some pints pretty frequently in college, but like I didn't get high or anything like that. And here I am, actually laying in bed with Timothy Leary because he would he would die like a month after the interview I did which was like just kind of skyrocketed my writing all of a sudden sit laying in bed with him and just kind of like it was a very long interview it was like three or four hours and doing nitrous balloons with him because that towards the end of his life that was what kind of was gave him pain relief and like a little a little kick yeah yeah yeah. Jesus it was it was a trip there's there's a lot more to that story but that set me off onto this onto this path that in a circuitous way years later i would i would then after fantastic fungi come to like of course i should be writing about this you know yeah Yeah, jesus that is going from uh being really scared of psychedelics to taking them and then to interviewing in a really short space of time, probably one of the um, loudest voices, for better yeah. and for worse, the loudest voices in the area. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure why it was seen as the negative about him, but um, I think it was probably down to the whole dropout thing. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, he he kind of sensationalized it. You know, okay. he 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 really threw it in the face of of. Uh, you know, the government of like, he, he wasn't afraid to be loud, mm-hmm. you know, and say, this is our right to be able to do this. And he got in with hippie culture, which immediately tainted him. Yeah, um, okay. You know, he was, he was a respected uh, psych, psychiatrist, I believe he's a psychiatrist um, from Harvard and then departed that. And I think whenever you depart that mindset and that kind of academia, you're like you're a freak then yeah you're a freak yeah, yeah. you're a freak is... and, and, and he was also very much like a pt barnum kind of character so he mm. he deserves that you know that rep that he got yeah okay but yeah um that's it. you see there is something about them the synchronicity though and this um that's the part you can't but you can give examples i can give a lot of examples but there is something about them for something like that to happen. You kind of go, well, yeah, that kind of, it doesn't seem out of the ordinary, but it's quite enjoyable. Yeah. The fact that these uh, people seem to come your way and you end up having conversation. I think there's a kind of a, 
energetic sensing. But, uh, again, I've no, I've no data here, but um, I like my yeah, data. Yeah, it's hard but, to have data in a situation but, like this. But I, I think there's a kind of a sensing. If you talk to somebody who has taken psychedelics, there is a sensing that they have. I, I can't describe what that is exactly, but I, I feel like I could sense within a short period of time somebody who's taken them and versus who hasn't. And it's just, it's, it's openness. And there's yeah. a kind of an openness there in the character that is not so much there with people who, who haven't. Or maybe it's energetic, but there's the amount of times I'd kind of just find... And then I'd, I'd get my way into the conversation to ask, well, have you ever had an experience? And then they will talk about, it. and more than likely, it'll be like, uh, even recently, a few months ago, I was talking to somebody and they refer to psychedelic incident as a kind of a, a really positive reason about their, their life, you know, as just mm. one thing that happened. And they, but I, I, do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? That there is yeah. that kind of openness or. I do. I definitely feel that openness and I can sense when someone hasn't had uh, a personal experience you know I, I interview a lot of people that are in the bit on the business side of this yes um, and they're fantastic people that um, that I think I, I'm, I'm sort of I wonder you know if they've had an experience themselves and they'll be CEOs CFOs you know they're working for companies that are putting lots of money into psychedelics and as the conversation goes on, I'm like, yep, I was right. This person hasn't had an experience. So I feel that kind of like a little radio signal like that, that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, but it, but it is this kind of openness and I'm not sure how to, how to I think it's it. harder to be, no, obviously you can be wrong. It's, but it's harder to be an asshole. <laughs> it's yeah, harder to be an asshole yeah. if you've taken it because there's an overwhelming humble Didness from it that is unavoidable really i think that whatever way you get into it there is a vulnerability that is exposed that is stunning yes but, um and i think maybe uh, I, I think it just eases all the rigid structures of the character the judgments not that the judgments don't happen of course they do but yeah. i think it kind of breaks a lot of the edges of the rigidity of the character. But yes. Again, I don't know, you know. Definitely it breaks that rigidity off. Yeah. I've had a personal experience with a friend recently who hadn't had an experience since they were like in their twenties and it wasn't the greatest experience. They, mm. they very difficult and they were turned off. And now like a lot of people uh, in, in her fifties, she came around to, um, to trying this and had, you know, the full ego death, with with psilocybin and really confronted herself and <clears throat> confronted some things that she'd been going through and the last few weeks i can see that a, a lack less rigidity i can mm. see that those edges those sharp edges that were there before are gone it's yeah. it's amazing and i haven't been able to really uh tell tell them you know because i didn't want to say you know you were this before and now you're this uh, I haven't figured you're, out a way. You were a bollocks beforehand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now you're not so much. Of one, <laughs> now you're you not know. so much. Yeah. <laughs> but but I I see I see that with people for sure, and I I have felt that with myself. Um, yeah, it's it's. 
Well, yeah, like it is no like I had an experience once, and I remember, whatever way it went, I could see it was like having a board meeting with every single member of my ancestry. Not every single, but let's just say maybe ten or fifteen. And all the important ones. All the important aunties and uncles are different voices, and it was kind of like, all right, you know that gnarly voice that's going on. Who's that? Who's that voice? Yeah, what is that? I, I, I had an old auntie, and the auntie just goes, you know, and I kind of, well, can we all agree? We don't need that voice anymore. That voice is absolutely useless, and it's just, we're, we're, can we all agree on that? Vote. <laughs> but, get her out of here. Get her out of here. But it's it's just so random that you, you're you hearing all these, all of these, you're seeing things in just totally different ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, people's psychedelic stories fascinate me. I know a lot of people. It's like when you hear someone telling their dream and they're going on for a few minutes, you're like, okay, there can't be more to this that's worth telling. Yeah. But but when people tell me their uh, stories and they're succinct, I, I I'm fascinated by them. A guy told me about an incident where um, he had some liquid LSD left over in a vial. And he thought he had barely anything left. And he swished around some water inside what was left in the vial. Took it one one evening. And he had this experience. Where, I mean, there was way more than he thought was in it. And went just off his head completely. And he ended up, after kind of going through the labyrinths that you'll go through, sitting at this table with three people that looked like, you know, alien kind of outer space sort of people. and they said, oh, you finally made it here. And he had this conversation with them that was just like, it blew my mind. Like he had, he had, it, whether he had concocted this or whether this is the nature of, you know, how we can transcend to a place and find some answers. But it, it blew my mind that he got to that in his, in his mind. Mm-hmm. And he had been trying to work out some things with his family and stuff. And he was like, after that, I kind of got this uh, this answer that I was looking for, which mm. which that that's the beautiful part of psychedelics. You kind of you kind of con- confront yourself and and you you sort of be, I've heard people say that you are the medicine, and it really is true. Like you your stories play out like a film, and if if you get lucky or if you maybe have thought about this enough in a in a positive way. You end up somewhere like that guy did mm. and get some real beautiful answers. Yeah. You know, it's, it, and that's, that's one of the fascinating things about, about psychedelics that keeps driving me to talk about this. Yeah. Well, you see, that's it in a way that's eight hours as opposed to eight months, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's the, uh, can, what do you, what's your sense of this idea of ego disillusion? What, do, what do you, what do you think that is? God, I mean, in in the simplest way, uh, it feels to me like that part of the brain that tells your story, that default default mode network, or blanking on the exact name, you, it shuts you off like a hard stop on your computer when you're having trouble. Just sort of shuts that off. That that is the simplest way to say what I think ego dissolution is that it's just turning off everything that you tell yourself about yourself, which can often be 
negative stories that, that we get stuck on um, in, in a more complicated way. Um, life is the dream and, and the kind of the trip that we're going through and, and, and getting to that ego dissolution and that unitary consciousness that no me, no it, no us, you, you arrive in something that is, uh, boundless. I hear it described a lot with 5-MEO is that, that boundlessness, that, that is reality. I think. Um, yeah. Have I said to you there was no you? Now. That there isn't a you. How how when you hear that, what does it sound like to you? There is no uh, you. That no you doing anything. There's just what's happening. For me, it used to confuse me and make me feel un- uneasy. And and my Catholicism would come leaping out at me and all these thoughts. Now, when you just said that, I feel at ease and I feel a calmness and I feel a, a kind of odd blending with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're me and I'm you. I feel a I, I feel a comfort and that boundless oceanic nothingness, which is maybe kind of our reward at death. You know, like we we unleash the bonds of of this this thing that we have concocted and we get to just be floating in, in nothingness. <laughs> <laughs> and and what, what if I said, this is floating in nothingness now, this appearing as whatever it does, like whatever sounds yeah. we're making, whatever words that yeah. we, we, we kind of, it appears like words or things and that this is life. And we're talking about something that's definitely real and yet, like life and death, um, and all of those ideas of what this is are still don't touch. And even the word boundless binds boundlessness into a word called boundless. This is already boundless. And what, you know, but you see, yeah. I think the movement is to know boundlessness. And then that's where it becomes but we can only, it only exists as this, in, in almost the moment you open your mouth, it's separation begins, like, you know, in the beginning was the word. Yeah. And this is the beginning now. But it always seems like in time that there's a story of a beginning and an end and like even the start of a sentence. But like this is boundlessness appearing as two talking. But already yeah. this is home. But they can't, yeah. so there isn't an ego to die. There isn't a disillusion of an eye. There'd have to be one already. There's already no one. <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's there's already no one and everybody's going around thinking that they're me's and that they're in there operating and yeah. they'll accept that they can't grow the nails or the teeth or the hair or the heart or any tiny thing, but they are absolutely convinced they're doing the thinking. Now, yeah. that's just what's appearing. And the beauty, this boundlessness that you're, you know, is that beyond the words, beyond any description. That's right. It's just, it's just this like. Yeah, yeah. It's beyond, it is beyond words. That's why, you know, the complicated, it's, it, it becomes very ephemeral very quickly to talk about this. I can only talk about kind of, I guess, how it feels. Um, and that nothingness feels good to me, you know, like yeah. it feels, it feels so 
uh, it feels good that this is this conversation that we're having could be just uh, a little blip in the thought of some thing that's dreaming or that just is. It just is, yeah. This is, is. N- this is nothing that's full to the brim with whatever, with the sound of this. With stuff, yeah. With stuff, with shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 And in, you know, I suppose sometimes I, um, you know, Alan Watts said things like, you know, once you get the message, hang up the phone. Yeah. And um, now, in a way, really, that makes it seem like there's a message that uh, the message that there's no message is the message, you know, in, in a way you go around the houses and I suppose what we're, I'm talking about now, there's a couple like with psychedelics they're used for therapeutics. And I think that's amazing. They're also used in a kind of a spiritual, like the likes of ayahuasca and I suppose five MEO. They're all used as a, a kind of a way to get someone somewhere else do you know mm-hmm. what I mean and yeah. there's always an idea and like there's the somewhere else <laughs> there's the somewhere else and there's the person and it's basically all that ever happens is this all the time it keeps yeah. pushing away when you know and I think in a way that's how sometimes people keep coming back oh I need to clear this I need to get this done and this done this done so that then I can feel the oneness yeah, but yeah, it's, and it's never seen then that I can feel the oneness is right. the is the is the step away almost. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's, then there's me and oneness. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. That this is uh, this is kind of the issue or sort of confusion I have with setting an intention before you go into a psychedelic experience. Like I, that, that's something that people talk about and it's become like quite popular. I I wish I could set no intention, sort of just have nothing, not, nothing, try, try to quiet everything so that when I do fall into it, I can fall a little closer. I'm not falling into an expectation or chasing, chasing something in there. You, you know, it's so abstract to talk about this, but I want to lessen, I want to lessen my thinking and lessen my expectations i guess you know mm. so that i could have i don't know I, like a, a greater chance at success which is nothing mm. well you see that's the story you're saying anyway but the, like it's like kind of you know going into say a conversation and kind of we we'll have the view or oh, we're going to talk about this anyway you know that's our you know we'll talk about yeah. this or this and never in a gazillion years could we predict where we'd go, really. Right, that's, right. There's sort of a kind of a safety in, and that's the nature of the mind is, well, I wish that I couldn't, I wish that I wouldn't have so intention so that, that da, 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 so that I could have a better experience, a more nothing experience. But like, yeah. if this is, if this is already nothing, uh, full to the brim with wanting to experience nothing, do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. The, the that intention i mean they're just it's just what's happening then you're, you're going in to take psychedelics and then there's thoughts about oh i don't want to set an intention i'd like to just see what it's like for now and yet really you know eight hours is a long time so the intention is probably dealt with <laughs> yeah it's just unfolding right it's just unfolding yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, so you've written, you've done a book on MDMA, a 5-MEO book. You have written the book as well? I'm in the process You're of that the process, one. Yeah, I yeah, saw the cover and, then. Somewhere, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so that that one, there's just so much happening around uh, that substance that I keep adding to it. And I keep coming across people that tell me interesting stories. And, you know, Mike Tyson's very vocal about it. Um, there, there's uh, boxer uh, Jake Paul and people, you know, it's popping up everywhere. Uh, there's yeah. speed toting in Tulum. I don't know if you've seen like articles on that where no. people are just kind of dropping in like a hair salon kind of visit and just boom, getting rocketed out to the. Whew. Yeah, right. yeah, I know. And you, <laughs> I just so, had the. Whew. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And just to you know preface this, I think people are surprised by this, but um, this is one substance that uh, I haven't tried, so I, I kind of have no you know, dog in the fight, so to speak. Like I, I am approaching this one completely objectively. And I feel I did with the MDMA book as well. I tried to keep, I did keep myself out of it. Um, but, but this book I'm approaching purely from an objective standpoint um, with all the people that I've interviewed. You guys, your, your film actually is, is a piece of it that oh, I, wow. oh, that I talk cool, about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your, your story. Um, you know, just a few regular guys setting out like you did uh, to experience this, it really it had an impact on me at a time when I was good, good, like four or five months into doing my research for it. Um, and I, I told you that, um, was it Boris that was your, the, the director? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that the film felt to me like touching the void that, that, beautiful mountaineering film yeah oh yes yeah 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 sorry yeah 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 it had is that what the movie touching Touching the void Void. yeah 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 touching the void yeah it had that this kind of uh like calm in the face of something harrowing that is you know is about to happen um it just it just had a like hit a note for me that that propelled me further into the, the writing of my book and of course interviewed you for, for Forbes and have interviewed so many people. And, and just recently, I don't know if you saw this, but this made kind of a nice little spout, splash with uh, Lucid News, who I write for. Um, there is uh, a laboratory in Chicago that has created the first cell-based uh, paratoid gland of a Sonoran desert toad, which is where toad toxin comes from. So they've created this, you know, essentially like in a Petri dish, they've they've made the cells that are required to make the the toxin, the, you know, the 5-MeO, which is a a big leap for a lot of reasons. One of them is conservation of the toad because they're they're under stress, like they're not necessarily going extinct yet. But they're definitely being captured in huge numbers and messed with, you know, in a way that's that's not really very ethical. So this is kind of an answer to that. But also, it's a way to um, to create create a, a version of uh, everything that's that's inside of uh, the toad toxin, which includes bufotenine and all all of these other little molecules, and then also 5-MeO. And to pull them apart and see if there's like an entourage effect of what you're feeling 
as opposed to the pure molecule synthetic creation of 5-MeO in a laboratory. So this, this is the first yeah, occasion wow. of this happening. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. But that, that just happened like two, three weeks ago. So I keep adding layers onto this book. It's become this big kind of, kind of unwieldy thing. Um, I that, know I'm going to ask you, like, obviously yeah. you, you, you're, so you haven't. I haven't. You haven't. I, ha- I, I haven't. I, I can almost feel like, so, so tell me, um, it's reticence, it's reticence. Like, it's an interesting, yeah. I, I, like I had it for years because I saw these things going on. And, yeah. but what is the, what is the, what is your feeling about it? So to put it simply, I feel I'd go mad. I yeah, feel okay. I, it would be too much for me. You know, you hear potent, powerful, the most, you know, associated with 5-MeO. Um, I feel, I feel not prepared, which is a strange way to phrase it. I know because I write about this and I'm mm. deep, deep into the science of it and uh, the culture of it and, and really seeing a full spectrum of what it is, but it, I have moments where I'm like, okay, right. I know someone who can set me up, you know, it's, it's not a controlled substance in Canada and in Mexico, it's very easy for me to get to these places. Um, you know, Mexico, even through the pandemic, it's not, not that hard lately for me to get down there. Still, I have these moments where I go, nope, not right. Yeah. I, I I don't know that I would um, accept it in in a way that would be productive for me. I'd mm. love to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you you know, like from the when you, like I obviously was I was extremely reticent, and it's because I had um, oh you see when you read about it, you, you can't. It's kind of mind blowing when you read about it. Like it's amazing that you can read about an experience and go, okay, well this is not your normal experience. And so I was, and then I had a couple of opportunities. I did, um, I think there was a movie. What was the, there was another movie about Buffo Alvarius. And I, yeah. this, this lady was promoting it in Ireland. And uh, I, I did a small little podcast with her. She told me about her experience. I did, did another podcast with this programmer dude. And he told me about his, and he said it was one of the greatest experiences of his entire life. And then three or four opportunities came up and every time it was not, no, I, why, I, I, I have to want, there has to be some excitement about wanting to do it. Yeah. And it was just fear. And then, uh, obviously we were doing the movie and then we stumbled upon Ollie and Ollie kind of did talk about non-duality a little bit. And that, that's an area that I'm interested in. And I, I, uh, and I was interested in, and he, he, the way he spoke, uh, it, that it's basically was the known versus unknown. I knew I was going into the unknown, but yeah. I needed at least some sort of knowing part. But all the way, the build up, I was kind of going every time. I don't know if I'll do it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, because I think you're. You're, there's the appearance now that we know everything, so like you know life is safe, whatever. Yeah. But, and what we think we want is safety, and yet at the same time we crave 
really what we need is discomfort and new experiences because then afterwards, once we know them, we'll talk about, oh, you should try this, you should taste this food, whatever. Like, if, yeah. I don't know what you're like. If I, my, if I, my wife suggests a new restaurant to me, I go, ah, can we not go to such and such a place? But then when I go to the new place, I kind of go, that's amazing. Everybody, yeah. you know, more than likely somebody else will recommend it and I'll take, then we'll go. But yeah. uh, my my long way around is going so then something like this comes along and it is obviously a, a it is everything you read about it is a mind-blowing experience so what is that like well um so i'm not going to encourage you one way or another but I, all i can do is say is i totally empathize with the fear about it i was i was afraid but the fear was there as well like if you're to go and take you might know LSD, but if I said to you, okay, here, drop a couple of tabs now, you go, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> or you yeah. might go, okay, bring it on. But you know what I mean? You're still stepping off the cliff. Whereas this one, yeah. I can't say whether you will go mad or not go mad or what way it'll be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't say anything that's, but the fear is just the fear, is all I would say. About yeah. It. But it deserves all the respect. Right. And fear, in my mind, anyway, that it gets. Because even when you mentioned it, I got this, the enormity of it as well. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Expansive is what I think of. It, you know, and uh, meeting other, you know, going to other cultures, um, you know, new new places to eat food and and meeting new people. I mean, those are all expansive experiences that I love. You know, I, I bring on discomfort yes. in that way. You know, I, I like surfing and that, that can be um, really challenging. You know, you can put yourself into some dangerous situations. So there's a part of me that, that goes, yes, this'll be, this'll be good for me. Yeah. Um, I think it might have to do with, with partly, I don't want to blame it on her, but Jennifer, my fiance is like, We've got a pretty good life right now. And don't go fucking that up. You know, like don't, don't do something that yeah. sort of like I you know what resounds in my head, Frank, all all the time when I think about this is your line from from your film. I don't want five going and telling me I can't have a wine and a ciggy. It's so it's so kind of basic, but yeah. in a way I didn't want to change the things that I loved. <laughs> yeah. And the things that yeah. you know, those those aren't damaging unless you've got a three pack a day habit. I guess you could you could say that's damaging. Yeah, a cute little smoke. It doesn't bother anybody. But no. uh, but also then there's the feeling of um I uh what was it? Something you said earlier as well, this idea of, oh yeah, you kind of mentioned the corporate people. And yeah. I, I can imagine, well, they don't want to do it because there is the connotation that they won't have their life back. Right. That's the that's the image that you won't, yeah. I, won't I won't get my life back. Or I'll, yeah. be cha- I'll be wearing pink clothes. I don't want to wear hippie clothes, <laughs> you know, or whatever image. I think I had an image, you know, I don't want suddenly not to be wearing black. This These... But they're all kind of just, um, in a way, you, you see, you don't already have life. So that that's why life is actually unsafe as it is. It's just, ah. it's already unsafe. Yeah. It's already edgy. It's already, already the edge of the cliff. So it's, you, you just don't have this. Nobody has life. 
nobody has the sky and nobody has life. So then that's why, you know, sure, who would come back together again and not be mad or not be mad? There's just the, but there could be, of course, like there was trauma. I would describe, um, somebody joked to me, went, well, do you need to go and do some MDMA, Frank, after your five MAO experience to do the trauma? <laughs> that was my brother. Uh, yeah. kind of went, oh, he has kind of a point there. But I, I would describe there was a, a physiological flashback to the experience. So what's what's that? Is it a PTSD? It was, it was pure physical. Like oh. in, the, in the morning, waking up in the middle of the night and you're, well, it's just impossible to describe, but um, but that kind of just played out then, it, you know what I mean? And I yeah. think it was greater and lesser degrees to, I think Boris had it a little bit. Um, I don't think Charles had too much flashbacks. Uh. But, you know, that's, but all I'm saying is then that would, that would be, but some people, um, their flashbacks are just they're like freebies. They go, whoa, it's brilliant. I wake up. Yeah, I get another hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've recently been asked, I'm always, not always, but I, I would say on a, every couple week basis, I'm offered that experience um, from, from people be, being in the position I'm in, you know, I'm constantly talking with people about this substance in particular. And I, I've been offered to go to a fairly posh situation in Mexico mm-hmm. um, and to write about it. You know, I would, I would write about the experience. and there's a part of me that says, God, why wouldn't you do that? You know, why, why not? And and then this other little barking area over here uh, just, just says not quite right. Um, So I want, I want like the sort of big yes, like you had with Ollie, you know, or are you writing about about this now? Just these, what the way you're describing it, are you are you writing just even that is uh it's 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 really interesting i i sometimes wish yeah. that i'd kind of documented written it down a little bit oh just, um even all the fears and whatever you know i i am including that yeah this story yeah, I, is a lot even though i take an objective viewpoint i try to um i include myself in this story in the sense that it scares the shit out of me and how ridiculous that is considering at a young age, I interviewed Timothy Leary, and I've had a few milestones like that in my life where it's like, of course, you're the guy that would do this, you know, write, write about this. So it, my, my character arc, I guess you'd say, through the story is it's kind of important to put into the story. Um, and it's not written yet. You know, I mean, there, there could be chapter 20 where I'm like, OK, I guess or I am ready for this. And yeah. The peak of uh, the peak of a psychedelic, uh, say mushroom psilocybin, strong enough psilocybin trip. But when you get to the apex, that there is a kind of an apex loop. Um, it's kind of like that in some ways, in uh, only in very subtle ways. In, except there's no, you go from it's like a it's like a ferry versus a rocket ship. I think I've used that analogy before. Yeah. And there's there's no room to negotiate having a good experience or not having a good experience. It's not you're not really there to do anything at yeah. all. It's just there's no. And then the um, but see, it's it is it is 
like I always say that we probably, I, I wouldn't, we probably will talk about it forever because it's a kind of a, it's, it's almost trying to remember some of the, why was it shocking? Why was it unbelievable? Why was it phenomenal? But it's just, in the end, it becomes an experience and having a cup of coffee is an experience, but this is an outrageous <laughs> experience. Yeah. Ah, but even, outrageous. But, but, even then, but even then, outrageous, you know, it's, it's an experience, but I could describe a morning coffee to you and I make good coffee. Like, it's just that it's kind of safe, whereas this is, yeah. I'm yeah, very curious it, to see, yeah. Because I can do, remember do you, your residence back when we were talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's less so than than it was then. Um, do you feel like fundamentally changed by it, or it's it's so hard to put proportions on change and uh, on mm-hmm. ideas of change? Well, like you know, we're always kind of changed. So how, yeah, uh, when do you kind of put the point? Where is the that which changes? Right, isn't right. anything. The changes, you know, except the body and the the old face and the eyes yeah. and the glasses and whatever, uh, you know. But um, I, there is something that, let's say, there is an unchangingness, and yet I don't know. It's hard to describe. So I don't know. Some people. I, I remember coming back. I was kind of disappointed. I was kind of oh. going. Oh, I'm still feeling like I, I need to get somewhere. And you ah. were still feeling like uh, I didn't get what I was looking for. And then somehow that particular movement, just the whole thing kind of ended. The seeking ah. for other. It all just came to a... It's not, and then ah. everything just goes on. Life goes on. But it's just an ordinary life. But I would say that, yeah, I was in spite of it. It's hard to describe that end mm. because nothing ended then. It was just ah. the, see, the seeing through. It was like that loop I was talking about. In a way that the me is the sense of self is a kind of a loop. And that ended in the sense that, you know, loops don't start or end. They just circles don't start or end. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't know if that's Yeah, it's a tough question. one to answer. That, that, yeah. that did, that did get me closer to. What I, There's what nothing I that can for. end. Like there'd have to be something inside that could end. Okay. There. There'd yeah. have to be yeah. something in there apart from, you know, navigating the system underneath, behind the eyes there, operating the whole thing that could suddenly come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the loop that is maybe seen. It just stops. I don't know. It ends seeking for other than this ended. Is a good ah, way okay. to say it. Yeah, that doesn't okay. make it any better or worse because yeah, it, it is in my mind though a change, you know, and that's a change for the better, I think. Um, so that's that's nice. Yeah. I, I I know we're nearing, you know, like a two-hour point. We probably have to wrap it. I'm I'm fine to just keep chatting, but I didn't want to miss asking you a question about uh, yeah. something that's happening in Ireland. Do Do you know the company GH Research? Oh, I keep talking anyway, because I know I've stumbled upon some, if it's to do with 5MAO. But I it is. Yeah, keep, yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, so they're based in Dublin, and they're laser-focused on uh, 5MAO specifically. A lot of companies that work in biotech and psychedelics, kind of a range of molecules they work with. 
these guys are on 5-MeO for treatment uh, resistant depression. And things are looking good. They're, they're in like phase two. They've had $310 million of capitalization already. Like, but yet they're kind of going under the radar. I mean, people like us who are, who are kind of attuned to it, you know, I have a Google alert set whenever 5-MeO pops up in, in the ether out there. But these guys are kind of just creeping under the radar. And it's, it's so odd that there's that kind of money and that it's happening in Dublin. Like it's just. So they, but they must then, you know, we talked about other corporate scenarios. They must have had an experience then. I think it's so distinct and so short. They must. Take somebody else's word for something that's 10 minutes long. I, I find it very hard to believe. Yeah. That. Yeah, I think so. They're they're connected with researchers at uh, Maastricht. Is that how you say it? University? Maastricht. Yeah, yeah. That's Maastricht. In, yeah, yeah. In Europe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Central Europe. Yeah, yeah. There there are a couple of people that I think sit on the board or advisors. Um, yeah, they must have personal experience as well as deep research. Like I think they've they've been looking at this for years. Um, but that's just another thing that popped up in the la- this last year. That it was like, oh, sent me down a whole, whole other road. As well as Beckley SciTech is doing, yeah. uh, you know, Amanda Fielding's son is the head of that Cosmo. Cosmo, yeah. Do you Cosmo. do you talk to these guys? Do, would you talk to yeah. the GH one? And is it GH? Is it? I, I do. I do yeah. talk. I, I interviewed Cosmo um, last year, uh, and I've been trying to get through to the people at GH, but they're just impenetrable. I, I haven't been able to to get to them. I've, I've tried every which way. I, I know the, um, the, the people that had a part in the IPO, they went public last year. And I thought that might be a way to get in. I, I don't think they trust press for, you know, probably, probably for a good reason. Yeah. Well, you're slightly different. That's, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I feel, like, yeah. I feel like I'm a little bit different. So I'm just, you know, maybe they're watching this someone. <laughs> I'd well, love to might, talk to yeah, you. Because I think I tried to, I was curious about, see, it's hard to know in our, our sometimes I think in our movie, uh, it doesn't, for the real advocates, I wonder, does, did they go, well, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right, or if you're trying to start a business on it, would they look at it and go, yeah, that's not doing anything for my my product, let's just say. Do, mm. do you think, or what's your sense of your movie, in if um if you're somebody and you're running a business for five MEO, because I think I tried to get in touch. I think I don't know what my angle was yeah. with that company, but then I was curious. about our movie wouldn't necessarily would it do any favors for? I feel it would in some sense, yeah, because I you like I said before, you you guys are you know kind of like the everyman, you know. Yeah, okay, yeah. And and it's you approached it with respect, um, and you approached it as, you know, adding to your life. It wasn't just for a goof. Hmm. Um, so it feels to me like it it would be useful. Um, hmm. I pointed a lot of people who are you know very serious about it, getting over um, problems like small problems, big problems in, in their lives. I pointed them towards your film and, and said these are guys that just had real pure intentions and you know whatever you think about the full film 
like the beauty of it is their intentions are uh, are the thing that most people are after who get intrigued by this as a treatment. So like I could I could see it I could see it helping them. Um, yeah. My my book too. You know I've 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 actually struggled a little bit to get my book on MDMA, which is short. You know it's really yeah. kind of an an abridged story on MDMA. I've struggled to get it into uh, areas where it, it it feels like it could be useful for the the you know all the powers that are that are working towards making MDMA you know basically a business. It's it's been Rick Doblin wrote um, the foreword to my book. Like I yeah. have a new new version that I've just released mid last year. But as far as getting some of the other biotech companies to look at it. Um, I've felt real resistance and I've thought, wow, that's weird because I feel it would be like a public service announcement that they would go. Yeah, it's a bang on case study. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And your, your film too, same, same kind of thing. So I don't know, maybe they're kind of insulated. I think they're probably for liability reasons. Maybe they don't want to have a close association with anything that's outside their spectrum. That appears like it's recreational, maybe, yeah. But then, you mean, yours is evidently not. Yours is pure case study, so... Mine um, is, yeah. 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 Um, and I put, I will put the links. Um, but you wrote, I stumbled upon you, it wasn't from Forbes, I think I stumbled upon you from, your neighbours are doing psychedelics, is that right? Did you have something like that, I imagine? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's my. Um, it began as a as a series, and I was I was wanting to write about all different um, substances, and starting with MDMA. So it's your neighbors are doing psychedelics. MDMA yeah, is the okay. is the name. Uh, of, okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Book. Yeah, and then uh, okay. the, then the next one was going to just continue. Your neighbors are doing psychedelics, five uh, meo, and just kind of go down the line. And I have been on meo for so long that. Uh, you know, it's become, it's become this different thing. It's not part of the series. Um, so I'm not positive what it is, what, what, if it, if it's connected to this series or not, I'm kind of a little bit in the weeds um, for, for what it is, but it's part. I, I, was, yeah. I was convinced that it was perfect opportunity. When I, when I saw that title, I was convinced it would make an unbelievable TV show. To, oh really? To yeah. Oh, I was when I saw it, that's it's a good year and a half, two years back then. I would have seen that first, and yeah, I just was, I could see, you know, they bring in people, and you know, you'd have different people every period of time, and following the progress, actually just seeing that they, you know, they stay in a house. So anyway, that, that was where my brain yeah. went with that. Um, ah, that's good to hear that from uh, yeah. from a filmmaker. I've I've heard that uh, several times um, and have been, you know, how it happens in, in this, in that industry, you're connected with someone and people get really excited. So that I have heard that and, yeah. and had people interested, but connecting the dots on that. Um, I think psychedelics need to get a little further, you know, probably, I, I don't know, like the retreats are definitely making headway. You know, people are, are attending those quite a bit. Oregon is going to is going to make a big push. So, yeah, I I would very much be interested in like trying trying to make something like that happen. Yeah, I have I just see. gobs of interviews. Yeah, we see people would be like it's it's just that it's it's uh, they're dramatic experiences and to they be are. able to somehow 
you see, it's the appropriateness, I suppose, they can't be seen to promote, so that's the problem. Uh, but in, you know, because they're so dramatic and so transformative, and we love our transformations, like we do it with houses and foods and, yeah. you know, restaurants and everything. Yeah. So people being transformed and that being captured would be would be very interesting. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it would fit perfectly. <laughs> it would. It'd probably be done into it, a, yeah. Yeah. Into a thirty-minute segment, you know, I can see. Yeah, it. you'd need to have control. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Yeah. So, so that's that's kind of your that's your project uh, at the moment. It's five meo. Yeah. And um, it's funny you even have an alert for it. It's it's uh, yeah. I do, yeah, <laughs> I do. They come popping up every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, are you looking or are you being looked for? Do you know the way they talk about that ayahuasca? I think some of them say things like that. Ayahuasca will come looking for you. Yeah, I've heard that. I like the idea of those sorts of things. They're kind of lovely, you know, that they would they come looking for you. Yeah, they kind of yeah. call you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, geez, we have hit the two hours, dude. Um, okay. uh, yeah, so I could, I put the link, uh, to your book, MDMA, and, um, so your neighbors are doing psychedelics, MDMA, and then is the title, yeah, the title. And when do you yeah. think your next one's going to be? I, it could be, uh, as early as the summer. Okay. Um, I'm doing another deep, deep dive into writing, uh, probably like mid month, so I would figure this summer. It could be available. Yeah. Okay. And I, I'm, on, I'm, I self-published the first book. Um, I actually had a wonderful thing happen. Uh, an Italian publisher wants to publish that first book on MDMA in Italian. Oh, wow, so, yeah, that'll be out um, late next year. So yeah, deep dive this next couple months, and I'm hoping I can have that five meo ready uh, for another self-publish. Uh, be available on Amazon, or I will more than likely send the manuscript out to you know the Big Ten publishers and see if somebody bites. I mean, it's like it's I'm I'm set up perfectly as far as timing with yeah. just all the conversation around it. Um, yeah, so by the time people see this, I, I I'm not positive where the book will be, but I'm, I'm mm. moving moving towards getting it out. Yeah, like it, I mean, we put our, we gave ours free. We gave it away for two yeah. weeks and got 200,000 views in two weeks. Man, that's amazing. It is, yeah, from like, we got word of mouth. We didn't spend any money. We just put it out yeah. there and obviously the algorithm. So the timing is interesting. It, it, it would is. be nice to make some money, you know, yourself, yeah. but um, that didn't happen. But, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see the timing of your book then to see if anything catches. I'm it more will. interested. I'm more interested to see what happens with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll uh, keep keep the. Yeah, keep maybe that's another one. Maybe that's a podcast in and of itself. If it we might can capture be. some of that. Yeah. Yeah, it um, might be. I wanted to offer to anybody that's listening on this uh, if you go through my website and there's a place to contact me. If you hit me up via email and just say in the subject line, Frank sent me or something like that, uh, I'll send you a free copy of the MDMA book. So oh, that's very good. Yeah. 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 Just to kind of see. I think know, should, yeah, go on. What? We yeah, see, I, I just want to see, you know, like 
I, I've sold some copies. Uh, people are interested, but I'd love to get it out there. I'd love to really have Nick's story be useful for people. And yeah. it's also, you know, I, I saw what you did with putting your movie out for free. And it's like, for a long time, I've been thinking that's a smart way to go to get people to see it, you know? Yeah. So, I'm, so I'm hoping yeah, well, that That's a lovely offer. I think, yeah, and uh, if you can get reviews, I should really, uh, I put this at the start, maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's the reviews on Amazon, I think, is what you what would be great. People write reviews. Um, yeah, I got some reviews. Um, they, they're trickling in. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Could always use more. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. Self-publishing is a difficult thing, I think. I, I did it a few years back, and it's... Um, it's a challenge, but yours it's is very rough. topical and real, like so. Mine was fiction, but you know, it, it is uh, a challenge. It's it's a challenge. There's no doubt about that. It is, yeah, um, it is. Yeah. Well, Frank, thanks for uh, having me on and thank you, to dude. Me. I knew yeah. I'd enjoy. I was looking forward to talk to you. It was just the way it worked out, fucking life and all that. I know.